Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you this morning for your word. We ask that uh, you would open our hearts to the message of your love and your loyalty and your redemption over us, uh, the blessing and the promise of salvation uh, that is all wrapped up in the meaning of Christmas. We give you the praise and the glory in your name. Amen. Amen. So we're heading into new sermon series, as I said, in the book of Ruth. And I think we have slides. I'm not sure. We have slides. Nick, thank you so much. Uh, I'm going to do just a little bit of background before we jump in to the book itself. This is one of the only the two books in the Bible named after uh, a woman. The other is Esther. And Ruth is a Gentile. She's not a Jew. Uh, she's from Moab, and that will become significant later on. Uh, we don't know who wrote the book, uh, probably Samuel, but it's not really not really clear. And the location is in Bethlehem. It begins there, then detours over to Moab, and then we're back to Bethlehem again. And uh, when did this happen? And we read right in the first verse, uh, during the days of the judges. It happened somewhere during Judges, but this story's been pulled out of the Judges cycle and put here at the end of Judges, which is really nice. Because if you've ever read Judges, it's a real downer. Uh, it's real poor. And so you'd have a real, really down Judges story, then a little good part with, with Ruth, and then it would just be downer again for the rest. And what happens in Judges is this problem that's repeated over and over, and it's characterized by the verse in Judges that says, in those days there was no king and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Uh, instead of following after God, God's meant to be their king. Israel started following after pagan gods, and God would send nations to correct them, and they would follow God for some time, and they'd repent, and then they would go off and worship some other god again, and the cycle would go on and on and continue. And what you have in that period is sort of unrestrained, reckless behavior and morality. Things are not good in Israel. And while all of that's happening, all the sort of godlessness and violence and injustice and all that sort of going on, you have this little story of Ruth happening. And what's really neat about that is it's like, while all of this sort of brokenness and the mess of society is happening in, in front of everyone in the time of the judges, here's God working sort of behind the scenes, uh, with regular people, bringing his purposes to bear. When it looks like everything else is sort of falling apart, here's God doing his thing and being faithful to his people. And so keep that in mind as you read, as we, as we kind of go through Ruth. So in the middle of all this sort of recklessness in this time period, here's God working his, his purposes to bear. Uh, look again, we're gonna just kind of walk through the verses here. Look again at the first few verses. There's famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about their names here. Elimelech uh, means, uh, my God is king. And what a strong name, right? He's just like, my God is king. Woohoo, I'm Elimelech. And Naomi has a good name too. Naomi means pleasant. And so together they are pleasant, God-fearing people. Off the, there they go, right? The pleasant, delightful, so nice, uh, wonderful names. Their kids' names are uh, not as fun, not as good at all. Go to the next one. So they have Malon. This is son number one. Malon means weak or sick. Uh, we're off to a good start, aren't we? 
And then they have a second son, Kilion, and his name means tired or dying. Uh, I heard a pastor preaching this once, and he said, the kids' names are literally sick and tired. And you could imagine uh, when they're upset with their parents at being out uh, somewhere too late and just want to go home, right? We're just sick and tired. Uh, they're, they're already not off to a great start um, or dying and weak. Uh, famine is in the land, so things are not good. You named your kid perhaps after what was going on around you. And so in order to escape, they head out. This family leaves. They travel east to Moab. Moab is on the east side of the Dead Sea where uh, Jordan is today. And now here's the irony in the story is they where have they left from? Did you guys catch it? It's a familiar place for Christmas time. It's a man from, verse 1, he's from, he's from where? He's from Bethlehem. That'll become important later on. Bethlehem, if you don't know, is made up of two Hebrew words, and it literally means house of bread. And yet what's happening? It's a famine. There's no bread in the house of bread. And so they have to leave, and they're starving to death. They go off to Moab. Now, famine throughout God's word can sometimes be uh, an indication of his, his judgment or his correction. Sometimes, not always, not in the sense that you could say, oh, every natural disaster is just God, like, you know, blaming someone for something or, or doing something. Not always, but it can be. Uh, you see that in other places in the Bible. So there's a sense that perhaps this is the famine as a result of, of all the mess from the cycle of the judges. Whatever the case, the family leaves, they go to Moab, and the boys grow up, and they marry Moabite women. And the women's names are better than the sons' names. Uh, the first one is Orpah, and her name means fawn or gazelle. How nice. Oh, gentle, beautiful, wonderful. And then Ruth means friendship. And uh, Ruth, it in Hebrew, you probably wouldn't have the TH sound, so it's really more like root. Her name is root, and that uh, means friendship. So that's great. So sick and tired, marry uh, fawn and friendship. <laughs> I feel like that's above their station a little bit, isn't it? They've married up in life. Uh, and then, before things can really sort of get off the ground, we read in verse 5, uh, both Malon and Killian died, which shouldn't come as a surprise given their names. Uh, they were already halfway there, it seemed. Uh, so they die, and Naomi is left without her sons and without her husband. And so that sets up uh, the story that we're heading into for Ruth. Uh, that we've got these three widows now who are all on their own. And they're in Moab. Now, let me just talk a little bit about Moab because it's important for you to get what that means as you head into the rest of this story. Uh, Orpah and Ruth are Moabites. And Moab uh, has a pretty bad background. Uh, if, you, if you know your Bible at all, uh, if you're familiar with Sodom and Gomorrah, Sodom and Gomorrah uh, had a pretty bad time. God, uh, there was sort of reckless sexual sin and perversion, and eventually they're, they're set to be destroyed. And so uh, Lot and his family are able to leave, and an angel comes to sort of get them out. And Lot is leaving with his wife and his daughters, and Mrs. Lot turns around, and she turns into salt. Uh, she doesn't come with them, and uh, off they go. And so Lot and his daughters escape. And in those days, so here's where the weird part happens. In those days, uh, when a woman was without a husband and without children, she was likely, very likely, 
going to be into poverty. Um, there was a sense of, of being part of the family. The sense of community helped uh, provide sort of wealth and provision like food-wise and legacy for you. And so uh, it was difficult if you were not sort of still part of a family. That's going to come into play later as well. And so the girls leave with Lot, his daughters, and the daughters of Lot are likely assuming, wrongly, oh, dad's the only guy here. And they do a not very great thing. Uh, they get dad drunk. That's not the bad part. Well, that's not great, but that's not the worst part. And they choose to have kids through their dad. And so the first daughter has a son. And from that line come the Ammonites, which give Israel trouble later on. And the second has a son. And from that line come the Moabites. And so the Moabites are descendants of this incestuous relationship. Not only that, that's part of the background here for Ruth and for Orpah, but not only that, uh, they, they worshipped a really awful God who demanded child sacrifice. So that's in the background when you think, well, well, they just went to this other country because there was no food where they were. Well, it wasn't a great pick. This country's not really known for its sort of outright and upright character. When you know that, the story of God's love and redemption shown to Ruth has all the more punch to it when you realize where she's come from and you realize the sort of person she was, the sort of family she would have grown up in. That regardless of your heritage, God can weave you into a beautiful story of his love and his redemption. Now, I don't know about your past, but all of us have things in our background that we'd rather forget. All of us have parents or loved ones or grandparents who have made all sorts of mistakes. And all of us have contributed to our own mistake-making, haven't we? And sometimes we can feel a little bit disqualified from God and his purposes just because of our own brokenness. Or we can hear when people talk about sin and about the need for redemption, we can think I'm too far gone for God to come and save me. And that's where you need to hear Ruth this morning. Because here's Ruth and Orpah, who are two women who have grown up with a, a tragic backstory, a tragic ancestry, no fault of their own. But this is the life that they've been born into. And yet, that doesn't disqualify them from God's purposes. And maybe this morning, that can serve as a reminder for you that despite what you've done, or what mom and dad have done, or what someone else has maybe done, and the way that's affected your life, despite all of that, you're not too far gone from God. Amen? That's good. So they're Moabites. They're not Jews. And Naomi decides to tell Orpah and Ruth, uh, will you stay here? This is Moab. This is your people. You're better off without me. And uh, I'm going to head back. I'm going to head back to Israel. She hears word that maybe the famine's ended and she's going to head on back. Look at verse six here. She says, she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. She had heard that the fields of Moab 
heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. Now, here's the part where Naomi says, girls, you don't, you don't need to come with me. And part of that is she's saying, look at, I don't have any other sons that can become your husbands. And even if I remarry, well, you're going to wait like 20 years or so for my son to grow up for you to marry. This doesn't make any sense. And uh, there's no point in you staying with me. You might as well just go. The Lord grant that you may find rest, she says in verse 9, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they say, no, we will return with you to your people, verse 10. And then Naomi says the part where she says, you know, what? what's the point? Why would you do that? No, my daughters, verse 13, it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. This isn't feasible. And listen, uh, you can start to hear a little bit of Naomi's heart in this story. What did she say? It's exceedingly bitter for me, to me, for your sake, that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Uh, we're going to see that bitterness. This is the first glimpse of it, but you'll see it a little more later. But she calls her life bitter. And Naomi's been through a really hard time. There's no denying that. It's not been easy for her in any way, right? She's lost her husband. She's lost her sons. But Naomi illustrates something that I think a lot of us can think, and it's this, that just because you're going through a difficult time doesn't mean God's against you. I'm going to say that again. Just because you might be going through a difficult time in your life, it doesn't automatically mean that God is against you. Now, that's what Naomi thinks. She's going through something very difficult. What's she say? The hand of the Lord has gone out against me, right? She is blaming God for the situation in her life. But don't jump to the conclusion that just because things might be tough, that God is working against you. No, God is going to accomplish his purposes and his goodness in his plan, even though things might not look good. And Naomi makes the false assumption here that God is against her, and it's based on her feelings and, and based on what she sees in front of her. And you know what? We all do that, don't we? Often we will come to a conclusion about what's happening in our lives based on how we feel about it, based on, on what we see right in front of us. But here we're reminded in Naomi, as dark as it has become for her, she doesn't actually have the full story, and she only sees partly. I think we should have compassion on her. Uh, but we'll we'll find out that her conclusion that God's against her is actually completely wrong. Everything she said is is completely untrue. She doesn't know it yet. So Orpah kisses her mother-in-law and leaves. It's a little bit a little bit of a sad moment. Gives her a kiss, takes off. Thanks, Orpah. Appreciate that. Ruth clings to her, and then we get Ruth's uh, famous words in verse fifteen. This is. Uh, you, we, sometimes you'll hear this at weddings and, and stuff, right? The, the don't, ur- don't urge me to leave you. Uh, where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. So this just this beautiful expression of her loyalty, uh, to Naomi, to stay with Naomi. And, uh, and there's a, there's a statement here too of, of her willingness to leave Moab because she says, your God will be my God. Uh, you're basically, I'll, I'll leave Moab. I'm willing to leave this place for you. 
And so Ruth is saying in this moment that she's willing to give up this, these other gods that they've served. And she's willing uh, to follow Naomi uh, and take on, uh, begin to learn who Yahweh is and what God's about. And she's willing to leave her family and let Naomi uh, be, in a sense, her, her people. When Naomi hears that in verse 18, uh, it just says uh, Naomi really has no more to say. It's kind of like, okay, well, fair enough. I'm not going to try and convince you any other way. I guess off we go. And so they come home. Look at verse 19. The two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. Well, you can imagine that because Naomi's from there. Uh, and yet it's been a while. And so people are are wondering, is this her? Is this really Naomi? And now uh, we'll see again. Naomi's heart. What does she say? Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Now, most of you, if you have a Bible open uh, or it's on your phone, you probably have a footnote. And the footnote at the bottom of the page will probably tell you what Mara means. Does anyone have it? Bitter. Bitter. Now, we were already told once the narrator made a point of saying that she feels bitter about what's happened to her. And now she's saying, don't even call me Naomi. What did Naomi mean? Pleasant. Delightful. Don't call me that. Call me bitter. Look at verse 20. What does she say? Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. God's dealt bitterly with me. And then she says, I went away full, and the Lord brought me back empty. Really? You went away full? When did you, you left because of what? Famine, you were not full. Now you've come back empty. Ah, really? Okay. Look at how she says, I went away full, but the Lord's brought me back empty. Who's she blaming for being empty? God. She doesn't say, God sent me out full and now I've come back empty. Who gets the blame for the emptiness? God does. I'm bitter. God's dealt bitterly with me. I've come home empty. God's against me. Why doesn't she say God sent me out full? I know she's talking about her family, right? She's talking about the kids and her husband, not, not just physical bread being there. But it's clear that she looks at God and blames him for what's happened in her life. I heard a pastor named Gary Hamrick, and he put it this way, and I thought it was really good. Naomi believes in the sovereignty of God, but only as it relates to bad things. And there's a lot of people that can be like that, right? Maybe you struggle with that too. When bad things happen, you can quickly attribute that to God. But when good things are happening, it's just like, well, that's just good things. It's just life. That's just me. I made that happen. But as soon as something bad happens, that's God's fault. God did that. Naomi's had a terrible time, right? No husband, no family, no food, no home, no hope. She's bitter. And she's come to this place where she's blaming God for all this. She can't see how there could be any good in the middle of all of this brokenness and all this bitterness. And you know, uh, she's not alone in that. If you have a Bible, flip over to Psalms. I want to I wanna take you over to Psalms. Go to Psalm 13. And this is an example of, of uh, Naomi's not the only one who's dealt with bitterness. 
Here's Psalm 13. Psalm of David. Here's David's heart. He says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? You ever felt that way? How long shall my enemies be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. David is struggling with what's happening around him. And what does he do? He brings his emotions to God. He brings the worry and the hardship and the sense of feeling like God's abandoned him. And he brings that in prayer to God. Look at Psalm 22. You flip the page over. Verse 1 might sound a little familiar to some of you. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me with the words of my groaning? That's quoted by Jesus on the cross. Jesus quotes Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Folks, God can take your emotions. He can handle it. God's shoulders are wide enough to handle the outpouring of emotions, even when you feel upset about something and it doesn't even make a lot of sense. Or maybe you're upset about something and it makes a lot of sense to be upset about. Sometimes we can pour out our emotions to someone and it's not the ideal person to pour that emotion out to. We end up hurting them in the process. We say we just need to vent. Sometimes we use that as a sort of blanket excuse to just say whatever we want, right? But God's presence, God is safe enough, folks, to carry you in the middle of the emotions that don't always make sense. He can handle it. You could say your, your emotions and your hopelessness are safe with God. He can take it. It's okay to wrestle with him. Naomi's in a place where she's wrestling. She isn't out the other end. But here we see even David and other psalmists, Jesus himself, are wrestling with that sense of God's abandonment or hopelessness. But they're doing it in dialogue with him. The danger is when I go off by myself and I wrestle with that without God's presence. But when I do that honestly in God's presence, then I can sort of pour all of that out and yet let him come and fill me and comfort me and bring his peace and his guidance to bear. Naomi's kind of shut God out at this point. But David shows us a way of, of still pouring that out, but doing it in God's presence. Naomi doesn't realize it yet. She's not really at the end of the story. But God is still at work in her life, even though it looks really hopeless. And that's something about what Advent is about as well. Advent is a season of remembering that in the brokenness of the world, God became flesh to dwell among us. That the light could shine in the darkness and the darkness could not overcome it. Here's the thing is we can, as we think about Advent and think about Naomi, we can realize that God is still at work 
in the places in your life where it may feel he's abandoned you or left you. God is still at work and we don't always have control over the things in our lives. But we can control how we respond to what happens in our lives. Naomi has no control over her family dying. She has no control over the famine. But she's chosen to become bitter, at least at this point in the story. You and I, when we look around at our circumstances, we also have a choice of how we'll respond. We can control what we'll do with what's in front of us. Naomi uh, is discouraged and life is hard. And you can choose when that happens to blame God for all the brokenness and all the issues in your life, or you can pour it out to him like David does, and you can seek God in the middle of it, and you can choose God, even though I don't get what's happening in my life, even though I don't understand where you are, even though I don't know why you'd let this happen, I'm still going to choose to trust you and to follow you and to love you and to give you the glory because you're still the king, even though I don't see the fullness of this story yet. And we all have that choice at every moment in our lives to choose whether to sort of abandon a faith in God or to choose to pour out our emotion and our brokenness in a relationship with God. You can get bitter or you can choose to still trust God. And we can say, Lord, you know, I just don't get it. I don't understand. And you know what? You may not understand this side of heaven. You may not. You may not understand why life has gone the way it has. But you can choose to still love and trust him, uh, knowing that he is still working his purposes for the good. And as we'll see by the end of Ruth, you see exactly how God is at work in ways that are least expected. I want to wrap it up with... Uh, this quote from John Newton, which is really, uh, John Newton was a, an old Anglican priest. And uh, this, this quote uh, was really hit home, I think. He says, when we've been brought very low, when we're sorely wounded and yet begin to feel healed, when we are cast down and yet begin to raise again, when we've given up all hope, and yet have been suddenly snatched from danger and placed in safety. When these things have been repeated to us and in us a thousand times over, we begin to learn to trust simply in the word and power of God beyond and against the appearances around us. And that's the call for us this morning, that despite what might be happening in your life, despite what Christmas and this season may bring up in you. For some, this is a difficult time of year. All of us have a, a measure of brokenness and issues that we're facing. We can choose to become bitter about that. We can choose to try to go it alone. Or we can say, God, I don't understand this. But it doesn't mean you're not here and it doesn't mean you're not faithful. I'm going to still choose to trust you and to follow you. And as John Newton says, over time we see God's faithfulness again and again and again if we have eyes and ears to see and to hear it. So let's pray together to that end, and I think we'll, we'll aim to be ready to eat here in just a little bit. We'll have some time to, to visit beforehand. But let's pray and, uh, 
And let's invite God to come into the places in our lives where we have a tendency to, to become bitter and ask him to remind us uh, to fill us with our with his grace and with his hope uh, just because we're not at the end of the story yet. We don't know where this will go. So Jesus, today we thank you for Ruth and for this story uh, that reminds us, Lord, of your goodness and your faithfulness, even in times where uh, things are incredibly difficult. And Lord, this season of Advent, we are especially aware of uh, the hopelessness that a lot of people face and the brokenness in our own lives. We think of Christmas and people that we don't have around the table with us, that we miss, whether they're far away or they've passed away, whether there's brokenness in relationships and things are not all well. And some of those things really come to the surface at a season like this. So Lord, like Naomi, we're well aware of all the places where we need you. And yet, unlike Naomi, Lord, we just say today we want to trust in you and your goodness, despite when circumstances uh, look to the contrary. Lord, that when things look dark and bleak, we ask that you would come with your hope and your strength to bear in our lives. Lord, I, I pray that you would give us uh, a courage to live with a loyalty, the same sort of loyalty that that Ruth shows to Naomi that she's willing to care well and to love well, despite her, her own history and her own brokenness. And Lord, I thank you that you call us and redeem us out of our own pasts, Lord, and out of our own sin into your salvation life. Lord, we pray also at this, uh, at this time for, for those around the world who need to know you and who are in a place like Naomi of brokenness and bitterness. Jesus, we pray that you would show your faithfulness, that you would bring breakthrough and life and healing. Lord, we think of uh, violence in our world and even leadership in our own country. We're called to pray for our leaders. Lord, we pray for your peace. We pray for your salvation to come. And we ask, Lord, in this season here in Dryden, where you've planted us, that you would use us uh, to extend your love and your hope uh, to a city that needs to hear the truth of your gospel. Lord, we, uh, we're so blessed, and yet sometimes we can feel overwhelmed with uh, the bitterness and the brokenness around us and within us. And so we pray, Lord, that you would remind us that you are not done writing our stories that you are still at work even when things are difficult, uh, that you love us and you hold us and you keep us. Uh, help us, Lord, uh, to be willing to pour out uh, our own emotions and our own brokenness, Lord, in our prayers to you, uh, to do that, because you are safe. You're the one we can come to. Um, so, Lord, just as we are hungry and ready to be fed, would you feed us as well spiritually? knowing that you are the source of our life and our strength. And we just say today, Lord, we love you. Uh, bless this food to our bodies as we get ready to eat soon. Uh, bless those again who have brought things to share and bless our fellowship time together, we ask in your name. Amen.